This morning, we are going to begin a two-week series on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. We're going to be looking at what it is that the Spirit is doing inside of you. What are we as believers dependent upon Him for? What's His role in our life? What's His role in salvation and ongoing sanctification in our life? So we're going to answer some of those questions, but we're going to do this over the course of two weeks. So if I don't answer all of your questions today, uh, you can definitely ask me afterwards, but we might be tackling a bunch of those questions next week. The different persons of the Trinity, they have different roles in the outworking or the add extra works of the Trinity. The Father decrees, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit fulfills or completes. And today we're focusing just on the Holy Spirit and a very limited window at that. But when it comes to the outworking of the Trinity and salvation, one theologian, Peter Van Maastricht, puts it this way. He says, as far as economic office, the Holy Spirit is, as it were, the emissary of the Trinity, sent to bring about the things that have been decreed. For this reason, he is also called the power of God. Likewise, the finger of God who brings about miracles, and he brings about the completion to the cause of human salvation, which the Father designed and the Son accomplished. So it is the Spirit's role to bring completion to the cause of human salvation. Everything from regeneration to sanctification unto glorification. It is the Spirit's role to bring about everything pertaining to salvation. Now that Christ has secured and accomplished that through His work on the cross. The Spirit is the agent that regenerates the hearts of unbelievers as they hear the Word of God preached and proclaimed. After all, who can believe without hearing and who can hear without someone preaching? The Spirit takes the Word of God and He uses it to regenerate the heart of the unbeliever, John 3. The Spirit then immediately, permanently indwells that person, that believer. And upon being regenerated, immediately, simultaneously, is the first action of that new life, putting faith in Christ and turning from their sins. The Spirit regenerates us. He then indwells us. But His illuminating and instructing ministry doesn't stop with making us wise unto salvation. The role of the Holy Spirit is to abide with us permanently to continue to instruct the people of God and the things of God in all truth, as we read in John 15. We're going to spend today looking at the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In the add extra work or the outworking economy of the Trinity, it is the Holy Spirit's part to instruct God's people. John 14.26, if you want to turn there, John 14, John 15, John 16, Jesus Christ had quite a bit to teach us about the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. That when Christ went away, He's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit was going to minister to us after Christ had gone. John 14, verse 26, it says, But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So this was a promise from Jesus that the Spirit would be sent to teach all things to bring to their remembrance all that Christ had taught the disciples. This word helper in the ESV uh, is the word parakletos, which you've probably heard in English as paraclete. And Peter Van Maastricht, again commenting on this verse, says that this word is quite frequent among Jewish literature and in the Talmud, uh, but it's not simply a comforter as it's often thought of, or older translations put it. He says that it refers to, and I quote, one who takes up the cause of another, and indeed for his benefit. This word, parakletos, derives from the verb, I call, such that it means an advocate, one called to defend someone in judgment, or to assist with counsel in a decision, or to teach in unknown matters, or to intercede and entreat before another, or to lift up the soul in adverse circumstances, or to stir up the lazy and drive on the sluggish. And from all these things, he concludes, paraclete means a defender of a cause, a teacher, a comforter, an exhorter, and an intercessor. And in John 14, the term paraclete is in context with explaining his work as a teacher. So the Spirit takes up our cause for our benefit to teach us in unknown matters, and to remind us of what we have already learned, to teach us in all truth, to make us wise. The question is, how does the Spirit go about teaching the individual Christian? Is it personal revelation, personal direction, audible speaking even? These are questions that many Christians are confused on, especially in our day and age. But turn back, just to, to begin in the Old Testament, turn back to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. The book of Nehemiah that we're going to be reading from today, just to set the context a little bit, the people of Israel went into exile in Babylon. They've come back to Jerusalem. They have already begun to intermarry and to engage in idol worship again. And so Ezra is confronting the people, calling them to repentance. And Nehemiah 9 is just a section of this account that Ezra is reading to the people, recounting some of their history. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 to 20, say this, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously. This is speaking of back in the wilderness wanderings with Moses after they left Sinai, they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who you brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercy did not forsake them in the wilderness, 
The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. In verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. So God supernaturally preserved Israel in the wilderness by providing water out of rocks, manna from heaven. He sustained their lives and their belongings so that their clothes didn't even wear out. And what I want you to see from this passage is that God often and primarily works supernaturally through natural means or through ordinary means. And sometimes those means are not immediately perceptible to us. How many Israelites do you think when they left Mount Sinai at the end of the first day, at the end of the first week, one of them would have said, hey, you know what, Bill, your, your sandals aren't wearing out. Or Gary, your shirt's not wearing out. Not after the first day or the first week, but maybe after a few years, after 10 years, 20 years, they would have realized that God was supernaturally sustaining them through the ordinary means of holding their clothing together. And I want you to see that the beginning of verse 20, there is no different than the end in that regard. Nehemiah 9.20, again, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. The beginning of that verse talking about instruction is no different with regard to God's use of ordinary means than when he provided food and water. There's a supernatural element in obviously water coming out of rocks, manna coming down from heaven, their clothes not wearing out. But those are just ordinary means. And so when we read that God gave his good spirit to instruct them, we should also understand this as the spirit using ordinary means to instruct them. That is to say that the Spirit did not personally instruct each individual heart in Israel as to what God wanted that individual to do. He didn't go around the camp whispering in a still small voice. It's always a still small voice. He didn't go around whispering in a still small voice in everyone's ear what they should do. He didn't go around whispering to this person that he needed to love his wife better or this person to honor his mother and father, or this person to put away his idols. That is not how the Spirit instructed Israel. And there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that this is how the Spirit worked. How, when Nehemiah records that, how did the Spirit of God instruct the people? It was through the written law of God delivered to them by Moses, through the faithful proclamation and instruction. And in fact, when Moses told the people, he told the people Yahweh wanted to address them as a congregation, what did the people do? They said, no, 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 God. You speak to him for us lest we die. But when God did speak directly to the people of Israel as a congregation, it wasn't in an individualistic way. It was as an entire congregation. That's how God 
throughout history has instructed his people through the faithful proclamation of his word, through the faithful people that he has instructed to do so. Those whom God spoke to individually were always set apart from the masses. So the Spirit was supernaturally instructing the people corporately through the written law and the teacher who proclaimed it. And that is going to be our simple two-point outline right there. The means by which the Spirit uses to teach God's people, number one, is through the ordinary means of God's Word. The Spirit supernaturally instructs God's people through the ordinary means of God's Word. As we already mentioned, it is the Word of God that the Spirit uses to make people wise for salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15 and how from childhood, this is Paul writing to Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As the Word of God is faithfully proclaimed, the Spirit uses that in the hearts of the people to regenerate them. And without the Word of God, this cannot happen. So we shouldn't think it any different that the Spirit would use God's Word to make us wise for living the Christian life. And apart from God's Word, the Spirit does not teach. So the means by which the Spirit is going to instruct us and make us wise for all of life is the ordinary means of God's Word. There are a lot of Christians today, and maybe some of you here today, that just assume because we have the Spirit living inside of us now, that He's going to instruct our individual hearts as to what we should do. Almost as if we were living in someone else's head, and they were doing things we didn't want them to do, we would often correct them. No, do this. No, go this way. Go do this. That's not the way the Spirit works. People walk in the door to the church all the time in the middle of the week, and they say, I was just driving by, and God told me to turn in here and talk to you. But there was a pastor here that I needed to talk to. Does the Spirit work in this way to teach and lead the believer, to direct him in every step? Many people today think so. One author said this, if there are things in the Word of God that you do not understand, ask God to reveal them to you. It's going good so far. I agree with that. But then it goes downhill from there. He says, and then listen quietly for that still small voice to guide you. Beloved, you can even ask the Holy Spirit to show you things to come. And when you do this, he will often take you to a Bible verse or perhaps give you a vision or just drop something in your heart. This is to prepare you or encourage you or to build your faith to receive something that you need or desire. End quote. And that is the same sentiment of many people in our country, many people in evangelicalism. And we read stories like the one in the Old Testament where Samuel is a child and he's laying in bed at night and, and God calls to him and says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and he runs into the room. He thinks it's Eli calling him. So he says, here I am, Eli. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And it happens again. Samuel runs into Eli and says, here I am. And it happens a third time, and Eli says, 
realizes what's happening and says, the Lord is speaking to you. I think many Christians just assume that the same thing can and maybe is supposed to happen to them if they are super spiritual. But look, Samuel and Moses were prophets. They were not the common person of Israel. And for us to read about the ways that God interacted with Moses and Samuel and to think of ourselves in the same category, that's really akin to what the people did who rebelled against Moses when they said, who made you special, Moses? Who made you special? And really the same thing could apply to the New Testament and the apostles who received divine revelation. They were set apart by God. In an article on six, six clear signs that God is speaking to you, one author states that, that the number two clear sign at least you got number one right. Number one was the Word of God. Clear sign to know that, that God is speaking to you is when you read it in the Word of God. But number two, this author said, the number two clear sign that God is speaking to you is if you hear Him audibly. If you hear Him audibly. And this person says that before you discount that God will do that, his argument is, consider how God spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus. I hate to break it to you, in case you didn't know, but you are not on the same playing field as the Apostle Paul, or Moses, or Elijah, or Daniel. Just like Moses was set apart for the congregation of Israel, Paul was set apart as an apostle to receive divine revelation to write it down along with the other apostles, and we aren't in the same office. We don't hold the same position. As Americans, we all live like kings and queens, really, if you've been to other parts of the world. We live like kings and queens here. And that often causes us to think that we are at the pinnacle, the topmost echelon of humanity. And therefore, we can occupy any office that we want to. We're Americans. We're free to do whatever we want to do. And so we have a hard time hearing that we can't do everything that we see in Scripture. We don't have the same position everyone else had in Scripture. When the Scripture is speaking of prophets and apostles hearing from God, we don't hold the same office. We shouldn't think of ourselves so highly so look, we aren't the prophets from the Old Testament nor the apostles from the New Testament. And while we are New Testament believers indwelled by the Holy Spirit, there's nothing to indicate that God continues to give special revelation to individuals. And quite the contrary. There is good reason to believe from Scripture that special revelation is finished in Christ. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Not to mention that nearly every false religion, every cult, began with God told me. Personal revelation, hearing from God, an audible voice from God today is almost certain going to start a false religion. That is because revelation is complete in Christ. Hebrews 1, 1-2 says, Long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. So in the Old Testament, there were many ways, that is dreams, visions, personal visitations, many ways and many prophets that God spoke through. Then there were 400 years of silence after Malachi. And then Jesus came as the full revelation of God, the exact imprint of God's nature to fully reveal all that God wanted us to know. And it's pretty definitive in the Greek there that God's speaking has ceased and is no longer needed with the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't need any more special revelation. He has spoken in these last days through his son. It doesn't say that God spoke through the prophets and then through Jesus, and now he's going to speak to every believer personally as they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But it says he has spoken by his son, and the revelation of God is finished. Jesus and his disciples, who wrote scripture about all that Jesus said and did and provided further explanation of the law and the gospel, They were the final spoken words from God. And look, the apostles, they speak of Scripture as sufficient to the point that you don't need more words from God. Flip over to your right just a couple books to the book of 2 Peter. This is the chief of the apostles who was with Jesus on all those intimate occasions when there was just a few disciples with Christ. And Peter relays one of those instances In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in the dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter recounts how he and a couple of the other disciples, they were on the mountain with Christ at the transfiguration. They heard the very voice of God thundering from the heavens. This is my beloved son. And they saw the veil over Christ being pulled back. They got a glimpse of his divine glory. What a magnificent experience. Can you think of Something more glorious to stand back and see. He heard from God himself about who Christ was. What does Peter say? We have the prophetic word, the scriptures, more fully confirmed, more sure, more firm than any life experience. What does he say after he says we have the word more fully confirmed? Does he say you would do well to listen to the still small voice when God speaks to you? No. Even if God spoke to you, like Peter here, 
you would do well to pay attention to the written firm word, a more sure light. How much less reliable, if we're talking about firmness here, Peter's talking about certainty, how much less reliable is your intuition that God is speaking to you or telling you to do something, how much less reliable is that than even Peter's experience? We're talking about firmness, stability, and truth. The Word of God, it's like walking out on the Brooklyn Bridge. It's firm, solid, even with tons of people and cars. You know you can be certain when you step on that bridge and you walk to the other side, it's going to hold you. Peter's experience, he says, that's not firm. God's Word is firm. You can stand on that. But your personal intuition as to whether the voice in your head is yours or God's, that's like walking out with great confidence onto one of those flimsy rope bridges like in Indiana Jones, you know, the ones you walk across and the people fall through, you know, they're holding on, they're trying to stay there. Trusting your own personal intuition is like walking out on that with great confidence. Putting your trust in that is disastrous. Unlike the scriptures, it's unconfirmed. It's unconfirmable. And listen, you don't need a personal word from God. Not only does God not do this, but you don't need a personal word from God. Look back up at the top of the chapter right there in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Peter's statement here about how we have, we have all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him and his promises, he's later in that passage that we just read, clarifying what he's referring to. We have been granted the knowledge of God and the Word of God with all His promises. This is a sure foundation to stand on, and it is all we need for life and godliness. And this is in conjunction with what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. We read earlier 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, the Word of God is able to make you wise for salvation. And we know it's the Spirit who regenerates, who takes that Word and regenerates. But then in the next verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, so that the man of God may be complete. The scriptures are sufficient to make us complete in Christ. We don't need anything else. We don't need a special word from God. We don't need any other light. We have the scriptures. And one theologian Put it this way, he said, God doesn't speak with a stutter. He doesn't stutter when he speaks. He has no need to continue to repeat himself on the same matter. If God has said it once in Scripture, that's enough. We don't need special words from God because he's said everything he needs to in the Scriptures for life and godliness, for us to live a life of godliness. We don't need extra biblical light Light from outside the Bible. The scriptures are sufficient. We don't need the Bible plus church growth strategies. 
We don't need the Bible plus critical race theory to understand the world. We don't need the Bible plus psychology with its parenting methods, self-esteem, self-help. We don't need the Bible plus a personal teaching from the Spirit on where to go to school or what job to take. The Bible is sufficient and perfect for the Spirit to teach us and to make us wise. Look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a a glorious psalm on revelation. The beginning of Psalm 19 is on general revelation, and then he speaks of special revelation in the actual words of God, inscripturated in the texts of our Bibles. Psalm 19, 7 to 9, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, rules, those are all synonyms referring to God's Word. The Word of God is perfect. When something is perfect, you don't need anything else to supplement it, right? If you needed something else besides the Word of God, it isn't perfect. It is the testimony of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, that makes the simple wise, teaches us how to live wisely in this present age. And so the Bible, as Peter says, is totally perfect and sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. But some may object and say, well, the Bible doesn't tell me where to go to school. It doesn't tell me who to marry, what job to take. So how is Scripture sufficient for that? And the answer is in these verses right here in Psalm 19. Verse 7 says, The testimony, or the word of Yahweh, makes the simple wise. Verse 18 says, The word enlightens the eyes. The word, it's perfect for everything pertaining to life and godliness, because while it doesn't give us answers to every situation, it doesn't give us our math problem answers, it doesn't give us who to marry, where to get a job, It does give us wise principles that we can use to apply to any situation. That is why it is sufficient. It gives us wise principles that as we read God's Word more and we take it in, the Spirit will give us wisdom to apply to any life situation. The Spirit teaches us through the ordinary means of the written Word of God and it informs our minds The Spirit gives us wise counsel to make wise decisions. As we take in God's Word, the Spirit uses that to make us wise. He teaches us those wise principles to make wise decisions. In other words, the Word of God is the nutrient that when we take it in, the Spirit turns that into the fruit of wise living. So to bring this full circle The ordinary means by which the Spirit of God teaches us and directs us and speaks to us is through the written Word 
of God. The Holy Spirit supernaturally imparts wisdom to us through the ordinary means of studying God's Word. But we also need to recognize our utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit to teach us, to illuminate our minds to the truths of Scripture. Yes, we do need to work hard to study them, to study His Word, but we are also totally dependent upon Him. Maybe some of you have the experience of being an unbeliever and reading Scripture, and it just didn't make any sense. That is because you were dead spiritually and hadn't been regenerated, yes, but you also didn't have the Spirit to teach you. And just because you're a believer now, don't think what you learn from the Scriptures is learned unaided by the Holy Spirit. As if now, because you are regenerate, you understand the mind of God without the Spirit's teaching and illuminating ministry to you. Don't be so foolish. Even as believers, we are still dependent upon the Spirit to teach us and to lead us and guide us in all truth. The psalmist of Psalm 119 is a great example of this. I'll just quote some of these verses. You don't have to turn there. But the psalmist of Psalm 119, the longest psalm on the Word of God, constantly petitioned God to teach him. In verse 12, Psalm 119, verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Again in verse 26, When I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes. 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Petition after petition after petition. Again in 66, teach me your good judgments and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. In 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. 108, teach me your rules. 124, teach me your statutes. And 135 again, teach me your statutes. Psalm 119 is a marvelous work on the Word of God for the life of the believer. And if the guy who wrote Psalm 119, who undoubtedly knew God's Word way better than we do, way better than any of us, if he's dependent upon God, crying out to God regularly for God to teach him, how much more so do we need to cry out to God to teach us for the Spirit's help, to teach us his Word, to teach us all truth, to guide us into all truth? need to cry out to God regularly, teach me, Lord. I, I cannot do it on my own. It, the strength is not in me. We are no less dependent upon the Spirit because He lives in us. We're still dependent upon Him, and we need to recognize that. We need to be humble and submit ourselves to regularly recognize that reality by crying out to God to teach us, to illumine our minds to the truths of Scripture. One theologian says, what Christ did for the disciples in opening their minds to understand Scripture. Uh, this is a reference to Luke 24, 44 to 45, where Jesus said, uh, He said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then He, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So Jesus was opening the disciples' minds to understand the Scripture. And this theologian says what Christ did for the disciples in opening their minds to understand Scripture, the Holy Spirit does for Christians. We know from reading our Bibles, right, that the disciples could be dull and hard of heart to hear the things that Christ was saying. They were regenerate, those who were believers, not Judas, of course. 
They were regenerate, but they still needed the ministry of Christ to teach them, to open their minds. Now, we are no different, except our advocate lives within us. But we are no less dependent upon him to work in our life this way. We often forget that he's working in our life this way because it's a hidden ministry. It's just an inward teacher instructing us, illumining God's word to what it really means. But as we read God's word and as he illumines our mind to what it means, we begin to assume that all we're learning is due to our great intellect. When in reality, it's all his spirit working in us. And if we didn't have his spirit, we would be just as dull as the disciples were so many times we see in scripture. So we must see our dependence upon the spirit. We must cry out to him regularly to teach us from the word, to illumine our minds to the truths found therein. And if we become self-reliant, we think all that we're learning really is due to our great intellect, we'll inevitably err in our pride like the Corinthians did. The Corinthians had forsaken total trust in biblical truth. They turned to worldly wisdom, unbiblical philosophies, and in a strong rebuke, Paul writes this to them. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 12, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, talking about the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now if the apostles were dependent upon the Spirit to reveal the depths of God, how much more so are we dependent upon the Spirit to learn the truths of God? We're totally dependent on the Spirit. We don't want to think it has anything to do with us and become proud and begin to turn to our own intellect. We want to recognize it's all from the Spirit of God who illuminates our mind through the written word to lead us and guide us into all truth. What does being totally dependent upon the Spirit to teach us look like, though? What does being totally dependent upon the Spirit look like? Does that mean that we should just pray to him that he would make us wise? No. Praying that the Spirit would teach us and impart knowledge to make us wise apart from actually doing the hard work of reading God's Word? That would be like a guy sitting down in front of a buffet of food and praying that God would nourish his body without actually picking up the food and eating it. That's ridiculous. Nobody would sit down and pray at a dinner, Lord, nourish my body with this food, and then not eat any of it. So we're totally dependent upon the Spirit. We would never do that in our physical lives, and we shouldn't do it in our spiritual lives. We shouldn't cry out to God for wisdom and knowledge if we're not willing to dive deep into His Word to learn it. But we're totally dependent upon the Spirit to teach us and to illuminate our minds to the truths of the Scriptures. But he's not going to do it apart from the ordinary means of God's word. But that is not the only ordinary means of God's word that he's going to use to teach us. The second means is like the first, but it needs to be distinguished. The other ordinary means the Spirit uses to teach us is other gifted 
teachers. The Holy Spirit supernaturally instructs God's people through the ordinary means of God's teachers. Just like in the wilderness wanderings, God didn't just send down the scriptures fully complete in a tomb to hit the dirt and the people were just supposed to read it themselves. He gave them Moses. So don't think, as a Christian, that you can learn everything you need to learn on your own. Don't think you're wise enough to figure any life situation out on your own. And maybe you object and you say, yeah, but what about 1 John 2.27, which says, I don't need a teacher. 1 John 2.27 says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. So I don't need a teacher. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to listen to anybody. Listen, this is not some anti-church verse, anti-intellectualism that indicates all you ever need to study is the scriptures for yourself and you'll know everything you need to. You don't need any teacher. That's not what John is talking about here. This is in the context of false teachers leading the church astray with foreign philosophies and new revelation, the Gnostics, special revelation. John's telling his readers that they don't need teachers of new doctrines. They can stand on the spirit of truth that they were anointed with at the beginning. They can stand on the spirit of truth, revealing the word of truth to them. Again, it would be like people coming into our church teaching psychology or critical race theory. You don't need those teachers. You have the scriptures and the spirit of truth to lead you. You don't need books on those things. You have the scriptures. You have the spirit of truth. Testify to truth in your heart through the scriptures. So John is not saying that you don't need any teacher whatsoever. Otherwise, he would be totally nullifying the letter that he is writing them. He would be writing to them as a teacher to tell them they don't need a teacher. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what that verse is talking about. The scriptures alone in the hands of a believer are sufficient for life and godliness But God has gifted the church with teachers that the Spirit also uses to teach you. Ephesians 4, 11-13. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have we all reached the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Have we attained that? Have you attained that? Have you attained to that? Well, then Paul says he has given gifts to the church, has gifted these teachers to build up the saints until we have all attained to the fullness of Christ. And so until we have all attained to the fullness of Christ, which won't happen in this life, We need other teachers. And God has given these teachers to the church that they might have, the congregation might have fullness of knowledge in the Son of God. So unless you have attained the fullness of the stature of Christ, you need teachers that God has given. Did Israel need Moses or the prophets? Yes. Did the early church need Christ and the apostles? who relate all that Christ taught them? Yes. And just in the same way, we need 
the teachers that God has given us, put in our lives, put in our church to teach us. And look, pastors don't have all the answers either. Bill was just relaying to me a, an incident where a seasoned pastor called him last week. He was counseling someone in, in a situation he's never counseled before. And so he called Bill, who has years of counseling experience, just to, to pick his brain and ask him how to counsel in certain situations. Look, don't think you've got all the answers. God has put different teachers in your life for a reason. Don't be so proud as to think you don't need teachers as well. That's not most of you. I know that. You're here. You're listening. But you can use this as a counter-argument when people use 1 John 2.27 to say that they don't need to go to church. They don't need to listen to anybody. It's just a statement in their pride. We also don't just read the Scriptures. Okay, that verse is not also... It's also not an excuse just to read the Bible and just to read Scripture and trust that that's going to get you where you need to go. Yes, it is sufficient, but you would be foolish to ignore two millennia of faithful Christians who have studied thousands of hours longer than you and they have taught from the Scriptures. The Scriptures are sufficient and if that is all we had, that would be enough for us to live godly lives there are a lot of great men that we stand on the shoulders of that have explained Scripture in great detail who we can then stand on the shoulders of and go further. Men spent their entire lives studying something and putting it into a book that you could just read in a couple weeks. How foolish are you to ignore that and think it's more noble or righteous to get there on your own or proud enough to think you don't need to read those other very, very godly, intelligent men. It's foolish to ignore the men that have gone before that God has used mightily. Even right now, the, the elders are reading through and discussing Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And Truman is really wading through some difficult philosophies, trying to explain how our world has gotten to the point where a man can think he's a woman trapped in a man's body. He's wading through all, you know, from the, the time of, of even Augustine and Paul, how our country has gotten to think this way. And I'm not near intelligent enough to look at all those philosophies like he is and pull out what we need to and put all the pieces together to explain that. The really intelligent guy standing back looking at the world and explaining from a biblical worldview how it got the way it has. And it gives us as elders great insight as we minister to all of you, but we would be foolish to ignore these men and the great works that they have done. To ignore the light that the Spirit has illumined to someone else is to scorn and scoff at the Spirit. He has provided the light to you, maybe just in a way you didn't expect it, Maybe he's not speaking to you personally, but he's put it into a book that you can read. So you need not only study your scriptures because it's the power for life and godliness, but we also need to read broadly from other faithful teachers that God has provided us through the preservation of their books. And you ought to read across a broad spectrum of biblical doctrines. You ought to read through systematic theology, church history, practical theology to learn better how to work out what the Bible says. 
Don't spend all your time in one area. Read broadly. Don't spend all your time looking at end time stuff. Revelation. Read broadly. Know your scriptures well and how to apply them well. The Spirit is going to use those faithful teachers to teach you, to equip you, until you attain the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God and the full stature of Christ. To live wisely in this present age. But the primary means of God's grace, which the Holy Spirit is going to teach you, is this pulpit every Sunday. Is this pulpit every Sunday. Or the pulpit at your home church where your pastor and shepherd is. Why is this the primary means? Because as Ephesians said, God has put teachers and shepherds here at this church who think about you, who pray for you, and specifically what you need to learn and hear. It's like a double dose from the Spirit. The Spirit teaches and illumines the mind of the preacher and the teacher. And then He does that to a further extent as you listen in the pew. How many times have you sat and listened to a sermon? They spark other helpful thoughts on the same subject. That's the Spirit working in you through the teacher that God has put in your church. So come ready to learn from the Spirit through the preaching on Sunday mornings from the pulpit, from your local church. Prioritize that in your life. The pulpit ministry on Sunday mornings needs to be the priority. It doesn't mean you throw everything else out, but you make that a priority. Prepare your heart, clear your mind. That's what you pay attention to. Personal devotions are great, but God has given those men for a specific purpose, to teach you, gifted them, called them to that. So the Spirit uses the ordinary means of His written Word and His called teachers to supernaturally inform the intellects of His people. We're totally dependent upon Him to teach us, to illumine God's Word to us as we read it and hear it preached, study, learn all the more from good resources, prioritize the Sunday pulpit ministry, that is what the Lord is going to use to increase your knowledge in the Son of God to make you complete in Christ. And all this energy that you put into learning, well, we're going to talk about this next week, but all that learning that you're doing, that's the energy that the Spirit is going to use also to sanctify you. So as you feed your mind more and more, the Spirit is going to inform your intellect, and He's going to use that to also inform your desires, and your will. So drink it in. Eat it up. All that you can get a hold of. Actually start reading some of those books that you've bought in the bookstore. Don't just continue to fill your bookshelves with them. Many of you have gone to conferences. You've gotten tons of free books. I'm the same way. I've gotten tons of free books I've never read through. Read through them. Have you ever been around somebody who was trying to to bulk up by working out? Obviously, that's not me. They eat a ridiculous amount of food, and particularly protein. My little brother, who is no longer littler than me, he did this, and he told me how much he was eating in order to build the muscle. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it made me sick to think about it. It was like a dozen eggs a day. It was tons of bacon. It was meat for breakfast, meat for lunch, meat for dinner, protein shakes every two hours. Your body takes in all those nutrients. 
and it rebuilds the muscles that you're breaking down as you work out. What would happen if the diet was all sugary food and junk food and you're not working it off? We're just going to gain fat. Our minds operate in the same way. They just don't have a physical manifestation of what we're taking in. If you're filling your mind with garbage, you're going to be spiritually unhealthy and lethargic. But if you're filling your mind with Scripture, with faithful teachers explaining and applying Scripture, the Spirit is going to use that to inform your intellect and from there apply it to your desires and will. So drink it in, eat it up, give the Spirit a lot of nutrients to work with. Don't just take it all in, but actually begin to exercise it. But don't sit in front of a buffet of food asking the Spirit to make you wise, to increase your knowledge and wisdom, and to live a godly life while you let your Bible and all those books sit on your shelf. Pick it up. Eat it up. And I know it might seem ordinary to just soak up God's Word, and it might not seem day-to-day like you're learning that much or you're getting wiser, But just like the Israelites, who would not have noticed day by day that God was sustaining their sandals, years down the road, as you look back, it's going to become obvious to you. Trust that God will work supernaturally through the ordinary means of His Word. Eat it up. Drink it in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that Christ went away so that your spirit would come. For if Christ were here, he could only be teaching and instructing from one location. But your spirit, omnipresent in every faithful pulpit across our state, across our country, across the world, you are supernaturally working through the faithful proclamation of your word to build your church. And I pray that you would help us to trust in those means. Though it seems too simple and too ordinary at times, help us to trust that that is the way that you have designed the Spirit to work in us. That is the way that you are going to teach us and make us wise. That is the way you're going to sanctify us. That is the way you're going to build your church. Not if we turn to all these other gimmicks, but if we remain firm in preaching and teaching your word. The world definitely thinks that that's not enough, but we trust that it is and help us to continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.